love singing about what we believe. And uh, it is so good to have you in the house of the Lord today as we put a bow or wrap up our foundation series. You know, um, it's been 124 years of history here at this church. And so we thought it'd be a really good time to take just a few weeks and explain some of the things that we've been working through as a church family. And why are we now Renew Bible Church? And you've been joining us with us. You've heard us go through each specific part of our name. We started with renew and we talked about how that is to make like new in quality, to refresh and revitalize. And we, we talked about all the renew verses in scripture that now make up our name renew. And then of course our middle name Bible, uh, the sacred scriptures, God's words, the book we regard as authoritative. It's in our name. It's our middle name. But today we're going to talk about our last name and that's the name we haven't changed. And that's who we are the church. Now, now show of hands, and I know we have a, a bunch of different people watching in different locations, but show of hands, how many of you age 10 and under, you remember going to church, you grew up in the church, you remember, grew up going to church? How many of you? How many of you? All right, there's quite a few hands there. There's quite a few hands here. Some of you, you might have even come up being part of church or grow up at church later, maybe as your teen years or, or that, but I was one who grew up in the church. I mean, as soon as I was able to be brought by my mom, I was in the nursery. In fact, I'm a little bit of a rare breed because I'm a pastor at the church I grew up in. If you're newer with us, I grew up in this church. And so my entire life has been calling this my home church. And that says a lot more about our church than me. Okay, the fact that they put up with me that long. Um, but I have been, I have been, uh, my diapers have been changed by ladies in this church. Uh, um, I mean, I, I have, like Christopher, you know, that I have that too. But um, it's been a really encouragement to me because when I was especially younger in ministry, how this church got behind me. And um, I, I just appreciate that so much along with all the leadership. But I'm not the only one. Uh, people like Mike Nice grew up in this church. Darla Mulhall grew up in this church. Um, there's so many of our, own staff members who grew up here. And that's why we love talking about church. That's, that's that name that we love. And now, now, how many of you, that if you grew up in church, you know some of these little church nursery rhymes, right? Like, I mean, how would you know if Zacchaeus was a wee little man without that song, right? See, I'm the type where I thought it was in scripture that he was a wee little man. And I was confused too. I really thought it, the Bible said that Jesus didn't cry only because away in a manger, all right? I thought that was scripture, okay? And that's what happens when you, if you don't know, some of you are like just learning that now and I'm sorry if you're like, what? But you go through these things, you remember these songs. Well, I remember this one specifically. How many remember this? Here's the church, here's the steeple. Does anybody remember what this is? You get your hands are getting a little excited? Yeah, yeah? Okay, okay, now, now there's a key to this because it's here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, see all the people. But when you bring the hands in, memory starts working, right? Works great with kids, but make no mistake, adults love all the kids stuff, okay? We learn too in those moments. Now, so you take your hands and here's your mistake. If you start with a prayer, you're in trouble, okay? So if you start with here's the church, you're in trouble when you get to the people because your hand's gonna block it. You gotta start with your fingers in. Okay, then you got your church building. Now you need a steeple, index fingers. Now you need the doors, that's your thumbs. And so watch me, here's the church. See, see some of you are nudging your family members that you brought today or friends, you're going, this is why we come here. It's for this kind of deep stuff. I mean, <laughs> I told you, awesome. Okay, 
here's a church, here's a steeple, open the doors and see all the people. I remember, okay class, we're gonna do here's a church. Come on, I was that kid, I was that kid. Big eyes, big glasses, made my eyes bigger. I was that kid, oh, let's do it. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors and see all the people. But if you don't get your hands right, you open the doors and there's no people. How many churches is that true of today? Why? What's going on? Why are we seeing so many open the doors and see no people? You see, when churches make things, mountains that are not mountains, oftentimes that's exactly what happens. There are churches empty today over preference. There are churches empty today over pride. There are churches empty today over a lack of stewardship. There are churches empty today because they were off mission. There are churches empty today because of impurities. And we want Renew Bible to be a place. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors and see all of God's people. But folks, as I grew up in church, I used to think church was something you go to. I, I used to think church was like a service time. And even as I got older, I got thinking church is an organization. And although those things are true, we need a place to meet a building. It is an organization. In fact, you can look it up. We are a 501c3 organization documented with the state. And yes, make no mistake, we're gathered here during a service time. But we're so much more than that. And over the past few years, our thinking about church has gotten exposed a little bit when churches weren't able to gather at time periods. People were saying, we're not getting, we're not getting, but, but we were gathering in boxes and two or three are gathered together. The church is there. When a group of seven pastors meet in a room, the church is there. Why? Because we are the church. We're an assembly of believers. And we're not given a certain amount as to what makes up the church, it's when the body of Christ gets together. And the word church stems from a Greek word written in scripture called ekklesia. It means an assembly or a congregation, and I like this, of called out ones. Peter senses that and teaches us that we're called out, we're separate, why? Because we've made Jesus Christ our personal savior. We've been become part of, young people listen to me, the universal church, which is not just here. Right now, we are streaming live into 48 different states that watch us. We haven't won over New Hampshire or Minnesota yet. And over 30 countries watch us. Our pulpit is far more than just an American pulpit, even though we're here. The church is global. That's the universal church. But we're gathered here on 5th Street in Perkasy, some outsiders say, it's Perkasy, PA, as a local assembly. And, and that's biblical as well. For Paul would write to the churches of Galatia, to the church at Ephesus. And so you have this local expression as well as this global expression. And they're all very different. Have you ever wondered why they're all very different? You ever wonder what makes one unique to another? Well, outside of the doctrinal issues, obviously, what is it that makes a church unique? 
Well, a better understanding of what a church is will lead you to that answer. The church is not just a building. It is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. When you come to know Jesus Christ, your savior, you're part of the body of Christ. You bring something to this body of Christ. Second, it's not just an organization. It's the bride of Christ. Scripture tells us in Ephesians 4, 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The church is the body of Christ. The church is also the bride of Christ. And that affects my preaching style. And many of you who have been in our church a long time know this, but I was taught by a mentor at a very young age, watch how you talk to the bride of Christ. For many, many preachers have used their pulpits to shame and to bash the bride of Christ. Pundits and podcasts will th say things like, shame on the church and the church should be doing this. And I heard my mentor say to me, Chris, that's the bride of Jesus. Careful how you talk to her. Chris, if I came and talked to Rebecca and shamed her and yelled at her and condemned her, how would you feel as a husband? I said, I don't think I'd like that. He goes, no, you want it. So be very careful that you speak to the church with encouragement, inspiration, convict her, but encourage her. And that informed my preaching style from the time when I first started, that this is Jesus' church. Handle her that way. And then finally, we have to remember, it's not just the service time. Church isn't 45 minutes when we gather in our small groups, when we gather for youth group, when we get the assembly together. We're church, we are the church. And so you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of the household of God. And specifically here in this local expression, you're part of our household. We want to talk to you about what are some of the things that make our household what it is. And so we talked about renew. We talked about Bible. But today we're going to talk about church. Here's a church. Here's a steeple. Open the doors. And I pray we see all you people. Heavenly Father, use this message today to bring encouragement to your church gathered here as well as online and throughout the different rooms of our own facility. And may they be inspired and encouraged to not only make this place their home, but to encourage others to come and hear about the renewing that can come from the gospel, from the truth of God's word, from scripture, and from gathering together with the body of Christ. Lord, I pray today that you would eliminate all areas of distraction. We'd hear solely from you and that this would be a great family talk about what we deem important here, why we deem it important, and may it all stem from the love of your word, the truth of your word, and may we be different because we left, came to this place today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be here in the dry right? And just relaxing around the things of the Lord today as we continue. You know, we want to talk about church. What does it mean? Uh, what makes this one unique possibly? Why is it so important to our lives? Have you ever noticed that you can even go to an area that's rather local and churches are very different? They, they get excited about different things. They handle things different ways. And you might even say like, hey, how come our church doesn't do that? Or how come that church does that? And I can't really tell you why one church does something that's 
that's their church, but we can kind of tell you why we do what we do. And it comes around, a lot has to do with our family dynamics. Now, every family has dynamics. You find this out as you get older in life that your family has dynamics. As you have brothers and sisters and you get older and you get married and you all vacation together, you realize that your sister raises her children different than you. You realize your brother handles business different than you. And aren't we tempted to think our way is the only correct way? Well, that also happens in church world because every family has a dynamic. Now, there was a specific dynamic that I remember as a young kid that was part of our family and it's centered around kind of a tradition to get behind or in front of, or however you wanna look at it, a certain piece of technology that my Grammy had gotten. And there's nothing cooler than being in your 40s and calling her Grammy, okay? There's nothing cooler than that. But Grammy had bought this incredible technology that our family had not seen at this time, especially us grandkids. And there were a lot of us grandkids and we gather around when Grammy would get this thing out. Here is this piece of technology she had. Look at this thing. Whoa. I mean, we couldn't believe this thing. You wouldn't believe what it did. It would take pictures, okay? The old Sun 600. And then out would come the picture. They didn't have to go back into a dark room and do all these things they did back then the picture would come right out of Grammy's camera. And so we gather around, I mean, it was loud, right? And then we'd wait and it would be starting to develop. And then what would it do, right? It'd start coming out the bottom, right? The developer, and, and we're waiting around and the grandkids would grab it and one of the kids would grab it and they'd take it and they'd hold it away and they would wiggle it. That, I don't know, that made it work faster, I guess. And you'd start to slowly see the images and you're like, oh, that picture stinks, give it time. And as you gave it time, it came back like, oh, that's amazing. And we gather around these Polaroid pictures. We don't do that anymore. Grammy passed away years ago. There's a new way to take pictures for families. You've all learned it. It's in your pocket or your hand right now. Dynamics change. And just like that was part of our family dynamic for a time period, that's not there anymore. And we don't not miss it, but dynamics change. Churches change. It's part of getting older. And you know some of the changes have to happen in the time period you're living in or the size of your organization or what's going on. You have to go through these, but it doesn't make it easy. You know it'd be wrong for them not to go to that college they've been dreaming of their whole life. You know, as much as you'd love them to stay home, you know it's right for them to go. And you drop them off, you fix up their dorm room, and you go, you got this kid, and you drive off, and you know it's right, but it doesn't make it easy. It doesn't even mean you always like it. And that's true when you're going through years and years at a church. It doesn't make it easy when things change at times and it doesn't mean you always like it, but you know it comes with time. Why? Because dynamics change over time and churches have dynamics just like families because they're a part of the household of God. They're gathered here together and ours is different than other churches. Churches have family dynamics. 
I remember the first time learning this when I went on a basketball trip with my school to Trinidad and Tobago. They said, church is on Sunday. I'm like, I know what church is. You go into an auditorium, you sit in a bunch of pews, pastor gets up, sing a few songs, he preaches. I wish I was at home at that age, probably, but I knew that was church. That was not what I experienced at Trinidad and Tobago. They, I, we said, where's the church? Oh, listen for the steel drums. Okay, and you heard them. Like, this is church, we're walking towards it. Like, what? All right, we're going there. They said, we said, what time does church start? They said, uh, like right around 10. What do you mean around 10? And you come, just come, around 10. Okay, so our, our team went, our, our coach went, we went in. And, and we were very careful to be careful with the culture. And we were sitting in, uh, we had dirt floors. We were around this and the steel drums are going, bah, 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 bah. and they're singing songs and I'm trying to keep up. I can't quite handle it, you know? I'm from like Perkasie, Pennsylvania. I'm going through a lot of culture shock. I remember my buddy, he was on a missions trip and he said, he said, Pastor Chris, they were singing. I'm like, what are they singing? This is inappropriate. They were going, Jesus is the wiener, man. And he's like, wiener, he's not a wiener. He's God almighty. No, no, Jesus is the winner, man. Jesus, oh, Jesus is the winner. Jesus is the winner, man. I mean, every church is a little bit different. We played those steel drums and church finished up around two or three o'clock that day. Yes. I felt the same way. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? It just kept going. And then when, have you ever been in something where you thought it was over and it was a joke? It's not over. It's not even close. We were going through that emotion. And we finally got done and it was time to go get food because they ate together after church. And we're thinking, that's something our basketball team can agree on. They were very happy to host us. And so we went. And I saw the food, I'm like, I'm gonna die today. I can't, I can't eat that. And the coach is like, eat that. It's wrong if we don't eat it. We're like, oh man, oh man. I remember this was not church. Why? Oh, but it was church. Because the body of Christ was there. And I got to learn that I was so limited in my thinking about the universal church but even how every local church has its own dynamics. And isn't it interesting in social media world, how we try to make apples to apples? Well, this church did this out in California. How come our church isn't doing this? Well, this church down there is doing this. And then, and then people who are not ordained haven't been had any Bible trainer out there yelling about what the church should be doing. And, and then we're posting it, sending it to people. This is what the church should be doing. You're going, oh my word. Like this church did that. And why aren't we doing this? And it's a shame the church isn't doing that. And you're out there going, what's going on? It is a shame. What are we doing? And, and you're overwhelmed by all this information. You gotta have a mature faith or you're not going to be able to handle it because everybody's telling you how to think. And I don't know about you. I don't like other people telling me how to think. I only want Jesus telling me how to think. And that's why I have to have the word of God in front of me. I can take information from everybody. Don't get me wrong, but we need the word of God because churches aren't apples to apples. You'll say this church over here did this, but that church is smaller than our nursery. 
How can that be an apple to apple? I mean, well, this church over there. Yeah, but I mean, we don't have a beach service. We're not by a beach. I'm open to it, but we're not by it. We should be getting out a certain time so we can go get into the tanning hours. They're, on, they're in Ocean City. That's not us, but it says church on the building. I know, but there's different dynamics based on location. You know, I heard this church did that, but our church can't afford to do that. Well, they have the finances, but we don't. There's different dynamics when it comes to how much funding is in a church. It doesn't make one church right or wrong. There's different dynamics. Add on top of that family struggles that you don't know what church is going through. There are things that hit a church. There's tragedies that hit a church sometimes. I know of a church who lost their senior pastor to death. That changes the church's dynamic. How come our church doesn't do that? Because our pastor just died. There are different dynamics in everything. You can't get your church theology from online media. But if we allow them to talk too much, we will. There's also challenges that one dynamic has that it doesn't have. And I remember going to church and loving all these things about learning different dynamics. I got to gather with the church at camps. Have any of you ever gone to a camp? You get to learn even more songs at camps. And some of them are just crazy songs. I, I still remember oh, just gathering together with the church at a camp and they did this little one. If I had, come on kids, sing along. Okay, and we were like, okay, okay, we're here. If I had a little lockbox to put my Jesus in. I'm like, where are we going with this? I'd open it up and, and put it back again. And, and all these teenagers, I mean, we do this at senior week. Seniors, if I had a little lockbox to put my Jesus in, I'd open it up and, and put it back again. But if I had a little lockbox to put the devil in, I'd open it up and smash his face <laughs> and, and put it back again. And I'm telling you, that camp. I mean, the first week, there were kids who were still trying to be too cool for school. They're like, we're not singing this song. By Friday, they're all into it. Let's go. Different dynamics. So how do we decide whether a church is a place we wanna be? You gotta know their mission, vision, and strategy. We do live in an organizational world right now. Paul wrote to a synagogue world. They gathered in synagogues. They gathered in houses. He wasn't writing, Paul wasn't writing Corinthians to a bunch of people lined up in rows, okay? And so there's a hermeneutic aspect to applying what a church should be doing. Because if you just take a literal thing that, okay, does Acts 2.42 says they were adding to their number daily. There was over 3,000. So is any church not 3,000, not a biblical church then? You gotta be careful how you do your hermeneutics because there's an aspect to history and the culture of that time period. Apostle Paul is writing to people meeting in homes throughout as well as often at the synagogue where he'd go. And if it got too rowdy there, he'd go to the next town. But in our day and age where the church, you can look at church history, didn't start meeting in rows because until around the time of Constantine. And they started that because people weren't educated in reading. And so the minister would be able to read to them and they'd all gather around and hear it. And before long, it becomes part of culture. But the Bible wasn't writing to churches with steeples and chandeliers and things like that. It wasn't that time period, but the word is the same. The word has carried through this body of believers. And so how do we in this century do church? Well, a lot has to do with because of our size around our mission, vision, and strategy. 
So we wanna be clear about that and upfront about that so you know where you're coming and what we're about. See, I can follow people sometimes I don't even agree with at times, depending on the subject, if I at least understand where they're coming from. If you can at least tell me why you did that, that enables me to go, okay, I don't know if I do it that way, but at least you know why you're doing what you're doing and I can get around that. And so as a church, I've always tried to lead us that way. Here's why we do it, so you know. Our mission, vision, and strategy, it's threefold. First, our mission is centered around the statement, growing people of all ages to a mature faith in Jesus Christ. It's birthed out of the verse of 1 Corinthians 14, 20. It says this, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be what? Mature. And that maturity is not age. Maturity is living out the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maturity isn't because you're older. Maturity is living and walking like Jesus Christ. But look where it puts a focus on trying to be mature. In your thinking. And that led us to even more drill into being a church that is focused on renewing our thinking. And therefore, our vision is to be a place that's not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our minds. That by testing, by testing, we can discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Going through life, Paul tells us one of your goals is to be able to discern what the will of God is. Not what the will of that person says, not what the will of that church is doing, not what the will of that leader is doing, but what is the will of God? It's part of our vision to grow people to a mature faith. Do you have a mature faith? It's a loaded question, isn't it? Do you have a mature faith in how you look at church? Because uh, college students, you're gonna have a few professors have a few opinions on church, okay? Um, young people, you're gonna have people give you a few opinions about church. Seniors going through this time period, where you're gonna hear opinions about church and what churches are doing. And did you hear this church? This? You're gonna, do you have a mature or an immature look at, this is one of the charts we use to kind of help people think through this. Look at this, look at this. An immature faith says God wants us to be happy. Have you ever heard that theology? A mature faith says, no, no, God wants to make us holy. Happiness is based on what? Happenings, it's where you get the word. So if your happenings aren't good, it's very hard to be happy. I found it very difficult. But when God is refining us and growing us towards holiness, you can find joy even in that. And joy is far greater than happiness. A mature faith says, this is difficult right now, but it's not so much that God doesn't want me to be happy. He wants me to be holy. And a mature faith says, good Christians don't have pain or disappointment. A mature faith says, God uses our pain and disappointment to grow our faith. Those pains and disappointments aren't, aren't abnormal. He told us in this world, we will have trouble. He uses those. An immature faith will say, faith will help us always explain what God's doing. I should be able to answer all my questions. That's an immature faith. A mature faith says, faith helps us trust God's plan when we don't know what he's doing. And that happens in your life. There are times you just, I don't get what you're doing here, God. I don't get how this could possibly be good, but I trust you. That's a mature faith. An immature faith says good Christians are always strong. I need to be strong. Good Christians are always strong. But a mature faith says our strength is admitting when we're weak. That's where our strength comes from. When I'm weak, he's strong. An immature faith says the closer we get to God, the more perfect we become. I'm more spiritual than them. Or if I get closer to God, I can show how spiritual I am by how many services I attend. No, 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 no. 
A mature faith says the closer we get to God, the more we become aware of our own sinfulness. The closer you are to God, the more grace you show because you see how much grace has been shown to you. An immature faith says we go to church to get something from it. I need to get something from this. I need to be this. I need to be fed. I need to this. I would like this kind of the music. I'd like this kind of thing. That, that's a consumeristic mentality. A mature faith says I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm called to gather with it, encourage it, love one another. We go to church to grow, to serve, and to give of ourselves. And in doing that, we will get something out of it. So we have a mission. We have a vision to grow people in mature faith. But we don't just stop there. We have a strategy. And one of our strategies is bitter around a word, remarkable. We want to be a place that's remarkable. Remarkable carries the idea of wanting to talk about it. And we don't want people to talk about us. We want to talk about them talking about Jesus. First Peter birthed this desire. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Start there in your hearts. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But when you do it, how should we do it? With gentleness and respect. With gentle, I went to college with a lot of hotshot young 24-year-old theologians who did not understand this verse. Everything they did would lack gentleness and lacked respect. It was exactly the opposite. We wanna be a church that lives in such a way, people are coming up to us going, can I talk to you for a second? What, what? Why you guys got so much hope over there? Oh, I was hoping you'd ask. I get to sit around a deacon board and listen to them go, hey, at the end of the year, why don't we, why don't we send an extra bonus surprise check to all our missionaries? Why? Let's be remarkable. Well, um, I, I listened to a board meeting discuss how um, someone had an accident near our facilities and how could we possibly be a blessing to them? And I listened to everybody in the room pray for that person. Why? Just, just to be remarkable. I've heard people in our church, when, the, when someone said something poorly about their Christian faith, they went and turned and blessed them with something. Why? Because they wanted to be remarkable. I wanna be a church. You wanna be a church. We wanna be a church. That is remarkable. We only be a church when the door opens up and somebody who hasn't been here for three months comes in and we go, hey, what are you doing here? We don't wanna be that place because you have no idea how hard it might've been for that person to walk through and you have no idea how hard grandma might've been praying for them to even walk in this place and we greet them with some sarcastic remark. We wanna be a church that's remarkable and goes, ha, 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 it's great to see you. Because I mean, I love walking in a room and being asked, what am I doing there? It's great, it feels good. Oh, we can't not tease each other. That's not what I'm saying. But are we a church that's behaving remarkably? Now, with all strategy, it has a lot to do with the point leader. I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not gonna act like it doesn't. It does. Every point leader has a strategy for how they run something. If they don't and there's no vision, then oftentimes uh, the people can perish, scripture even says. And what they perish in their emotions and their attitudes and they're and their moving forward because where are we going? What are we doing? So we at least gotta have some sort of strategy. And so it's important for me to kind of share this week some of the strategies that we go about fulfilling our mission and vision. And one of those strategies is, is we build around our team. You know, if you ever see re colon, re colon means in response to. One of the ways we build out our dynamics here at this church 
is we respond to our strengths as a church in leadership, in our members, what they get excited about, what their passions are, and what their gift packages are. For example, if I've got a ton of creative people here at this church, I wanna create ministries that enable people to be creative. Therefore, our production ministry isn't for show, it's so that about 18 to 25 people can serve and use their creative technical abilities to honor and worship God in their own way. If you walk backstage right now, you'll see at least five to six young people under the age of 20 holding cameras and being part of different things and they've learned to engage at their church. We try to build around our strengths. If we have an incredible group of seniors who love to pray, we want to have that midweek John Hodnett out on Facebook come together and pray because that's part of our strengths. It's part of who we are and we want to respond to that. You know, I coached for years and, and I had the privilege of coaching different teams. And when I would coach teams, one of my things was to talk to the other coaches about what are our players' strengths. It's football season. I'll, in, I'll talk sports for a second. If you're coaching a football team and you do not have a good explosive or dynamic running back, you don't build your entire offense around the running game. That's not wise. Why? Because we're not strong at it. We're going to run the ball. Yeah, but you're not good at it. If your quarterback really can't throw the ball down the field, you're not gonna design your entire offense around some pro-style quarterback. You're gonna design an offense that accentuates your strengths. Well, we like to do that here at the church. And it's birthed out of 1 Corinthians 12. Now there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And every local church family has a variety of gifts in it. And it's one of the jobs of your pastors to equip the church with ministry opportunities that accentuate the church's strengths. And that's how we try to equip as well. Coaching baseball, you got guys who can pitch and play catcher and play left field and play center field and play shortstop. But they always have one position that they're exceptionally good at. With our pastoral team, our pastoral team can do multiple things, but we also know what our pastors each have a strength in. And instead of exploiting their weaknesses and asking them to do everything and having them burn out within five years, we say, focus on your strength and we fill in the other areas with pastors who have strengths in different areas. It's one of the ways we've developed our leadership. We respond to what God's doing. But on top of that, we lead through what we call our family dynamics. Now, like I said, every church has dynamics. It doesn't make our dynamics right or someone else's dynamics wrong. And that's why we go out of our way to not talk about what another church is doing. God has called us to this local assembly. These are our dynamics. And if you're not coming here, we ask you for the grace. If you're listening and you don't attend church here and we ask you for the grace to understand these are our dynamics. We're not saying they're right. They're just saying these are our dynamics that we run our church through and we're clear on them so people know what they're getting into. There's 10 of them. The first one is preference. I never wanna see this church empty out over preference. We want a church built on Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That word count others, it carries the idea of deferring. My wife and I went to a wedding not long ago and there was a reception after the wedding. And at the reception, 
my wife and I sat down, we were enjoying some hors d'oeuvres, and there was a couple that came to the edge of the building, and the MC gets on and says, hey, now for the first time in public, I introduce to you, and in they come. Woo, and everybody's jumping up and clapping. Now, what if I stood up and I said, hey, Rebecca and I walked in 20 minutes ago. What are we doing here? We didn't get announced for the 700th time in public. What's going on? No, you would say, that's ridiculous, Chris. What are you doing? That's the most selfish thing you could possibly do to make this gathering about you. See, see, this is what, the, this is what we're being taught in scripture. We are to defer to one another. And what we were doing that morning was deferring, or that, that reception is we were deferring to that couple. It's their day. We're counting them as more significant than us that day. And that's the idea behind preference here at this church. We don't go, okay, you only like that music, then you go over that building. You only like this, then you go over here. You don't like that, we'll go over here. We say we work together and we'll try to find some unity behind doing something we can at least all get around. And we'll sacrifice some of our preference for the sake of the gathering. And we call it family dynamics because I don't know about you, but when you go on vacation with your family, especially if you take grandma and grandpa, there's different dynamics. You will find an 80-year-old grandpa does not want to do the same thing the five-year-old does. He doesn't want to go to the playground at Ocean City every single day. But that one does, especially because it's bouncy, right? And the little five-year-old, hey, we're going to just stay inside and read today and talk about how we have no business going outside right now. That sounds horrible, right? So, so you work together, especially as if you put the vacation together, to work around the dynamics of the family. One of the things we did is say, we're gonna do what Junior wants, we're gonna do what Grandpa, but we are trying to say, put aside preference at times for the sake of gathering. What are the chances of me getting in your car and you turning the radio station on and I go, oh, this is exactly the same style of music I like. One of the areas of preference that sometimes gets sacrificed is what we necessarily want. But when the gathering comes together, we put aside some of those preferences for the sake of the fact we wanna be together and we count others as more important than ourselves. Second diamond we wanna point out is true north. Pastor Gabe referred to it at worship. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is got breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. A few weeks ago, I said, if I were to say, point to true north, point to true north. Now, true north is more compass north, if you, if you understand compasses, but compass north is, is about this way. If I said, everybody point to north, you guess. I think it's there. I think it's there. In fact, I did it with the youth room one time, and they, they pointed all different places. One, one went straight up. I said, guys, that's actually north. Well, I kind of feel like it's there. You know what? I used to think that was north, but you know what? I went to college. I'm kind of thinking it's now this way. And, and you know, I thought that, but you know, with the day and age we live in, it's probably not that anyway. Our church says the scripture is our true north because it's the very words of God and it's profitable for teaching and correction and training. I know the Bible says that, but you know what? I'm kind of like feeling like a little uncomfortable, but, but the Bible says that. And we wanna to submit to it as our authority. Young people, if you move on in life and God calls you to another area of life, find yourself a church that is selfless in its dynamics and find yourself a church that believes in the authority of scripture. And you found yourself a good church. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that make up a church. And I used to think that one was a no brainer, but more and more, you gotta find a church that looks at scripture as our authority. But on top of that, find a church that cares for itself.
We call it the one another principle, dynamic. Hebrews says, stir one another up to love and good deeds. Consider, come into church thinking about ways to encourage other people in this place. Think about ways you can go stir them up. I, I mean, uh, young, hey, hey, maybe go tonight and just be thinking about who in the room doesn't look comfortable. I mean, every parent has talked to that teenager, like, I'm not sure I wanna go, I'm not sure I wanna go. And then they're fine once they go. I've often said, hey, go find somebody that looks just as uncomfortable as you're feeling. Stir up somebody else to love and good deeds because when we're oftentimes thinking about ourselves, we're not thinking about the one another's. And did you know there's 59 one another's in scripture? These are responsibilities. We are called to encourage one another. We're called to love one another. We're called to forgive one another. And those are in command form. And it's very hard to do that if we're not gathering with the body of Christ. So for those of you who've made a priority today to gather with us, thank you for living out the one another. And make no mistake, when you guys fill this place up, you really encourage your pastors and staff. Make no mistake how encouraging that is. But at our church, we wanna be known for the one another's. We have an incredible care team. We have a meal train ministry. We have prayer groups that meet. And if you've ever gone through a difficulty, unless we didn't hear about it, and we are not a perfect church, and sometimes there are struggles that people go through we didn't hear about, or we made a mistake and didn't love maybe the way we could. But if you've ever been through a problem at our church, you'll see the love that gets poured out on you in the best way we possibly can. If you're looking for a church, find a caring church. Find a church that loves to care for one another. We have a, an attitude about our daily walk here. For renewing a mind comes down to looking for ways to fulfill the will of God. Have you ever said, oh, I want to know the will of God? Oh, if I get married, then that will be the will of God. And, and I'm waiting for that day and then I'll know the will of God. Or, or oh, when we have kids, then I'll know the will of God. Oh, if I just get this job. Oh, if the kids got a little bit older, then we could really, I just wanna know what the will of God is right now. I'm just troubling with the will of God. You ever hear people say this? You can know the will of God for today. For the will of God is not a destination. It's an attitude. And that attitude, we've developed an acronym, Rapata, R, rejoice, A, always. P, pray, A, always, T, thanks, A, always. Why? Because when you rejoice always, you pray without ceasing, and in everything you give thanks, this is the will of God for you. It's not abstract. God's not saying you'll arrive and then you'll know my will. The will of God is today, rejoice always, pray always, thank always. Oh, it's, it's just not that simple. Well, before you say that, can I ask you this? Have you been fulfilling that verse? If you're struggling with the will of God, are you rejoicing? Are you praying? Are you thanking? Because oftentimes when we're discouraged with God not speaking clearly, our Bible hasn't been opened and our hearts have not been grateful and we have not been praying and therefore we're not rejoicing but complaining. Rapata, it's our church's desire in its daily walk. As you go through seasons of culture, Churches make changes and adapt to things. At our church, we've always been careful to understand as a large organization that God has blessed us with, we're gonna move like a barge, not a motorboat. Have you ever been on a golf cart that turned too fast? Not the funnest thing. Have you ever seen it on a football field? It's, it's kind of funny when someone else is going through it, but if you've ever done it, 
it's, it's a little bit scary. I, I experienced as a college student going across a, a camp one time working with my buddies. He made a hard right turn and I was finding myself off of the golf cart. What's the point? People get hurt when things are done too quickly. And one of the reasons we brought the barge, not motorboat is we want to be a church that prays through change. Do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request before God. Do you know your church applies the barge, not motorboat in its leadership meetings? Our deacons, when they hear something proposed, will not vote on it or approve a go forward until the next meeting because of the barge, not motorboat. Comes up at our meeting. Well, we're a barge, not motorboat. Let's pray about this and we'll decide next meeting. Thank you for the presentation. It enables us time to process and pray. And we want to be known as a church that makes its decisions based on prayer. Because sometimes organizational decisions don't always make sense to people. They don't know all the dynamics. If you live in the business world and somebody comes up, how come you guys made that decision? Trust me, there's some dynamics you don't know that I had to deal with. It's the same is true for us. And so we move like a barge, not a motorboat, because prayer demands patience. And never was that more taught than the months we spent in the tent. Some of you remember the tent. Right out here on our stone parking lot that the Lord divinely had us put up. And if it were grass, it would have been stinky but the stone allowed the water to go through. But this is a dynamic we refer to a lot when people say, how come you didn't mention this? How come you guys aren't talking about this? How come the pulpit doesn't do this? We talk about this dynamic. It's called our tent dynamic that we're sojourners. We're passing through. We know where our citizenship is as a church. And therefore we understand as citizens of heaven, what we want to make the main priority. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as savior. You'll notice that this church, we do not let the news cycle dictate the pulpit. We pray through what's gonna be brought up in the pulpit. We go through it as a team. I present it to the leadership. We talk about how God wants to use it. And then I have a team of people I times go through and develop application around as obviously my own study. And we build out what we believe we're supposed to go through. Like Daniel, um, um, our wisdom series. We sometimes do a topical, but for the most part, we're expository in our walk through scripture. And so as we pray about that and the news cycle changes here, here, and here, and you'll notice that no matter what, you'll be talking about the same things every time. We go, we got 45 minutes and we're gonna make it about Jesus. We're gonna make it about God's word. And this is gonna be the priority on Sunday morning. Why? Because we're passing through. Yes, you might be a citizen here, but we're all citizens of heaven. And with people watching from many different states and countries as well, we wanna make it about being a citizen of heaven here. And therefore, the tent perspective is we're passing through. Oh, Jesus had people would come alongside him going, I want you to do this. I want you to establish this, Simon the Zealot. He was following Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He'd say, hey, whoa, my kingdom is not of this world. And here's a church, one of our dynamics is to follow Christ's example on that. Doesn't make it wrong if another church decides that's not something they wanna do. But here, this dynamic, it's important to us. We are sojourners. We are passing through. This world is not our home. It doesn't mean we don't care. And it doesn't mean we don't have opinions. And it doesn't mean that we don't get involved in different things. 
But far more than just posting something, our church set up an outreach center that gives out over 20,000 meals to its community. We do back to school things. We cut kids' hair for free. We have four to five to six counseling sessions per counselor per day at our resource center. We do kids and teach them and help them with their academics. We are not a church that posts, we're a church that does. And part of the thing we try to do to help our community and to be a blessing to them is through our outreach ministries and through our revivals ministries, which we are celebrating once again tomorrow night. We're passing through. We're citizens of heaven. We don't get too caught up in the things of the world because we know where we're headed and we let the pulpit be dictated by the word of God because we have no idea what uncertainty might come our way. But when uncertainty comes, one of our dynamics is to think like the two. Without faith, scripture says it's impossible to please him for whoever draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. When, a, when a something comes that's uncertain and boy, our church goes through uncertainty all the time. There's not often some books I can go to and say, this is how we should handle this situation. But we wanna be thinking like Joshua and Caleb. When they saw an obstacle in front of them, they didn't look at the obstacle, they looked at the opportunity. And we also wanna walk with faith and, and if we make a decision, Lord, let it not be based on fear. Let prudence win the day, but may we make the decision in faith and think like the two. Another dynamic is our stewardship dynamic. We have one of the most generous churches that you'll ever find. The amount of, of funding that goes to different projects, including our deacon fund and those in need, as well as to the general fund and the regular giving here, as well as to our revivals outreach ministry, we have one of the most incredibly generous, so I'm preaching to the choir here when I say this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And part of cheerfully giving is being a church that's a good steward of the funds that come in. Not looking as our own, but they're the Lord's. And as a church, we've made a commitment to try to stay light on our feet, so when opportunity comes, we can seize it. Instead of saying, oh, we can't do that because we've already made commitment here. It carries the idea of why we are putting an addition onto the back of our auditorium versus building a large one that we couldn't necessarily afford. For we pray that we'll be able to finish that addition completely debt-free. In fact, right now, we have around 50, 60 people in the first service. We have around 100 people in another auditorium that we've opened for during the time that people can sign up monthly. In fact, that other auditorium is meeting right now. Can we say hi to them? Where are you guys at? They're down in the ministry center. Here they, there they are. Say hi, wave to them. There they are. We got the whole ministry's down, down there. We got a group of people that you can sign up and spend a month in because sadly through our building project, because we're trying to stay light on our feet and add to the building we're serving in, um, it's going to get a little tighter even still. And we thank you and praise you for those who signed up to be a part of those different auditoriums. It's a really great experience down there. But with any church, folks, as wonderful as things go, there's times of conflict as well. There's always times of conflict and one of the dynamics we go to as leadership is don't let the devil win. From time to time, a disagreement will arise. Can you believe they did that? I can't believe they did that. And I'll listen to the narrative that's being played out by the enemy. And they just, I'm thinking, wow, if they're upset with them and they go and tell them that, and then that happens, that's gonna affect that leader. And then that leader will feel this way about the church. And then the church will look like it did that. But this person will look like, I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. 
And I'll say, hold up. We'll be talking and say, hold up for a second. Hold up. Listen, if this happens, then you're upset here and then this could happen and they're just listening to me. And I go, and then that could happen and look how that could happen. They're like, yeah. I'm like, can we, can we take a second here? And they're all kind of fired up. Can we tip our caps and say, well done devil on that one? I mean, that's a pretty good scheme. What? I mean, we're all the body of Christ here and look how upset we are and look how this little scheme of the enemy to keep us upset could divide us. We don't battle against flesh and blood. That's your brother and sister in Jesus Christ. This is the devil at work. Don't let him win. Let's not let him win. What could we do to not let the devil win in this situation? You can do this with siblings. Whoa, 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 you don't, you don't hate your sister. Oh, yes, I do. No, yeah, yeah. She took that without asking. I know. But look, this is what's going on here. Devil doesn't want you two to be friends when you're older. He wants you two to hate yourself the whole life over this little issue here. And he's gonna start at 13 because he wants you two at 25 and 28. He wants you two to hate each other and not talk to each other. And think about that, how that'll affect our family gatherings. And think that how that'll affect your mom. Look at what the devil's doing in our family. We can't let him win. You watch how it changes the scenario. Don't let the devil win. We're on the same team. And that's why we don't have to come here. We get to. Do we have to go to church? No, we get to. What would you do without Sunday morning? What would you do without the body of Christ? I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We're very far away from those cameras of the past. Oh, those old Polaroids have been replaced with some pretty sweet cameras, if you ask me. And we're now in 2022. Our church was established in 1898, even before Polaroids. And church, we live in a very different time period than even a couple years ago. And you all know it. You all sense it. And let me tell you this, as a, as a, as a preacher, if you know anything about biblical prophecy, okay? If you've ever read Daniel and understand the 70 weeks, if you've ever looked at Revelation, if you've ever studied Timothy and what he said will be the characteristics of the culture in the times of the end, if you've ever done that, whether you are a church attender, if you know anything about what scripture says, you see, you see something, don't you? Is that surprising? It shouldn't be. Well, no man knows the day, and that's true. But Jesus said, you'll know the season. And scripture also says, when you see the days drawing near, it's not gonna be a surprise. We don't know the day and the hour the Lord will return, but when you see the days drawing near. In our upcoming series this fall, I want our church to stop wondering if they're saved and find out and make sure. You say, can I do that? Our next series, I'm gonna give you 21 reasons you, know you, you can know you're saved. You go, who do you think you are to do that? It's not me. It's gonna be from an older man, a savage's experience. Who? John. He says in his book that he wrote older in life, he says, I write these things so you can know you're saved. And we believe here at Renew Bible, it is imperative that we preach this congregation that you must walk confidently that you know Christ is your savior. And if you're one to get saved every time you come to church, stop once you come to this series. We're calling the series Word of Life. We're gonna emphasize scripture, memorization, as well as lean into the confidence we have as Christians. 
But in 2022, I'm preaching the choir because you gather with us today. Let these verses guide us into the future. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised, Jesus is faithful. He says this, let us, let us not only hold fast, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. If you spent your whole life church looking at other people and judging them, by the way, really horrible way to live, isn't it? Oh, it's terrible. If you live in an environment where you go to church and you drive home just talking negatively about everyone else, oh, it's such a terrible way to live. And some were coached to police the church and to, I've been a pastor for 20 years. You can't police the church. Your faith is between you and the Lord. Do you really want to spend the rest of your life? Did you hear what they did? Did you, oh, it's a terrible way to live. Change your ways, renew your mind. Let us consider how to stir one another up. I want to encourage everybody if I'm here on this earth and watch this, watch this, look at this, look at this. Not forsaking the gathering together. Now forsake means to deliberately turn. It doesn't mean there's seasons where a church has to make adaptions based on different things it's going through in society. Forsake means I refuse to gather. Not forsaking it as is the habit of some, but, but doing what? Doing what? Encouraging one another. Renew Bible, encourage one another. Encourage your pastors, encourage your staff, encourage your nursery leaders, encourage one another. I, I spend my whole life going to church judging one another. Stop! We can convict them, we can show them scripture, but encourage one another. And all the more, read it church, as you see the day drawing near. When you see it drawing near, go out of your way to be an encouragement. Renew Bible church, I pray you make it your home. I pray the enemy, I pray the enemies, I pray for our protection from the enemy. I pray that the Lord would move us into the future with great strength, standing firm on the word. But I pray for a church that desires to renew its mind and encourage one another and all the more as it sees the day drawing near. Lord, thank you for this patient audience. We went a little over here in communion Sunday. Lord, as we dismiss today, if there's anyone in here who is not a part of the family of God, I pray they'd stop by our first steps room and maybe hear about how John 3, 16 could change their life. Oh, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And when you accept Christ as your personal savior, you become part of the family of God and a very imperfect family and a family that sometimes hurts itself and a family that sometimes is cruel to itself. We're imperfect, God, but... We don't, we don't gather here because we have to. We come because we want to follow your truth and we need each other. We need the encouragement. We're on the same team. And I pray at Renew Bible, we'll be known for our love, known for our love for God and known for its light in the community. And we'll pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.